0: Hello and welcome to the Anxiety to Confidence podcast. I'm Siobhan Booth and I am your host. This podcast is for anyone with an interest in mental health, overcoming anxiety and building confidence. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. I hope you're well and I hope that you enjoyed my previous episode which was tips on getting back to a new normal. Uh, we're still in the process of doing that, so if you haven't listened to it, then I would strongly recommend you head back and have a listen. Um, but yeah, so I I hope you're all well and that everything is slowly getting back to normal, but in a really safe way. So this week, I wanted to talk about something that is really, really interesting to me as a clinician, but also as somebody who has experienced anxiety themselves. So I'm going to talk to you about the fight or flight response. Um, But I'm also going to talk to you about a couple of other responses that are not so well known as the fight-or-flight response and they are the freeze response and the fawn response, which is spelled F-A-W-N. For those of you that want to go Google it. Now, I've talked before about the fight-or-flight response and it would probably be worth heading back to some of my previous episodes where I talk about some of the neuroscience of anxiety and kind of why it happens, what happens in the brain and what kind of response that triggers. Because most people are quite aware of the fight or flight response. Um, I think we're taught it in schools, I don't really remember, but we tend to be quite aware of it. We tend to understand to a certain extent that when our brain perceives a threat, our body responds so that we can deal with that threat and it either does that by preparing us to fight whatever it is that we're scared of or it prepares us to run away but what we found um, particularly more um, as the human race has evolved and things aren't so simple is that there are more responses than just fight or flight and we're actually able to work out some of the behavioral responses that people often display when they're having these kind of responses to our anxiety So what I wanted to do today is go through each of them, go through the ways that you can tell that someone is behaving that way, the ways that you might be able to notice that you're behaving that way, some of the thoughts that those people have. And the idea really is that if you're struggling with anxiety yourself, building self-awareness around anxiety is really, really important. So understanding what behaviors you have that are impacted by anxiety can be really, really useful. It's really helpful in learning to overcome anxiety. It's really helpful in learning how to manage your anxiety and how to understand a bit better how you're coming across to other people as well, because often some of these responses can make people feel really uncomfortable. So I'm gonna go through each one in turn. I'm gonna start with the most commonly known ones. So we'll start with fight or flight and we'll talk through each of those. And then we'll go on to freeze and fall and it'll be interesting for you to have a think about which one of these you tend to do most often and in what situations as well so the fight response the person who is engaging in a fight response to anxiety or to a threat or to whatever has happened is very much focused on self-preservation and they will engage in self-preservation at all costs So, whether they're defending themselves in a fight, or whether they're defending themselves in an argument, there will be nothing that will stop them from trying to make sure that they preserve themselves. Now, these kind of people um, who are engaging in the fight response can often be quite explosive. So, you can see outbursts of temper or anger. They are often quite aggressive and angry towards other people. Sometimes they can be quite controlling of others, so that self-preservation has got to the point where they try and control other people in order to kind of mitigate whatever's going on in that situation. Often these people demand perfection from other people, and again it's that kind of controlling, making sure they know what's going on in the environment, making sure they can mitigate whatever's going on in the environment, needing to be in control of every situation so that it doesn't negatively impact them. So they can often come across as quite dictatorial now the challenge for these people as well is that they are so engaged in this self-preservation response that they often can't hear other people's points of view so particularly you'll notice this in arguments this is the most common type of fight response that most people have is that they're just set on what they are angry about they're not prepared to listen to other people not prepared to hear what other people are saying And to a certain extent, they can't help it because they're so engaged in this self-preservation that they're just not able to comprehend somebody else's point of view. Now, what this can often do is it can make somebody seem as if they're quite entitled. And it's difficult to say whether they genuinely feel like they are entitled or not. I mean, there's a certain amount of entitlement to any kind of aggressive response because it's something that's being forced upon somebody else. But it's a really tricky one to understand from that person's point of view. And it's a really tricky one from an outside point of view to be sympathetic to because it's very unpleasant when you're around somebody who's behaving in this way. And it's quite interesting actually, you often hear about different management styles. And you often hear about managers who are quite dictatorial, quite controlling, quite aggressive. And you have to wonder what anxiety is leading towards that behaviour. Are they anxious that nobody will respect them? Are they anxious that nobody will listen to them? Do they have imposter syndrome? So it's quite an interesting thing to kind of consider why it is that somebody might be behaving in the way that they're behaving. Now the flight response is a little bit different, so again, self-preservation is really important in all of these responses, that's the whole point. But for this person, they tend to be a lot more panicked and a lot more obviously anxious about the situation. These people are very much prone to rushing around, not very effectively quite often, causing them even more stress and anxiety. Over worrying about things, that can be things that have happened in the past, which we call rumination. Or it can be things that are going to happen, might happen, can be what ifs, Uh, it can be a huge range of things. These people can be quite obsessive and compulsive, so their own little version of controlling situations, um, but in a different way, not necessarily trying to control other people, but trying to control something that could be quite irrelevant to most people these kind of people really struggle to stay still and they really struggle to relax themselves um, which is really fascinating when they come in for hypotherapy because of course we're able to teach them how to relax themselves so it's really really handy when we can identify that somebody is responding in this way so these people often micromanage situations so again it's that trying to control the situation so that it doesn't affect them as much as it would have done before Now these kind of people as well, they often strive to be really perfect. So it's an interesting thing to consider when we're considering things like social media and how people like to come across on social media. Um, That needing to appear perfect could be a sign of a a deep seated anxiety. And these people are often overachievers as well. So that achievement almost gives them validation that they should exist and that they have some sort of purpose in life which is kind of sad in a way but at the same time they can achieve quite good things so it's difficult to balance up how detrimental that really is now I'm going to talk through some of the lesser-known responses to anxiety so the freeze response this isn't as common as the other three but it does happen so somebody who tends to freeze when they're anxious will often space out We call that dissociation as well they often feel quite unreal so like they're not really in a situation almost like they're watching the situation they often engage in hibernation style behaviors so maybe they sleep during the day or really struggle to get out of bed in the morning Um, this can often be a symptom of depression as well they tend to be quite self-isolating they tend to come across quite lazy. They tend to experience something called brain fog where they really struggle to think clearly and straightforwardly. So sometimes you notice this in people when you ask them a question and they kind of look really confused and vacant, even if it's a really simple question. And often people, particularly parents, will respond quite kind of frustratedly to this kind of behaviour, but it's worth getting checked out really. So the people who are often, the people who engage in the freeze response, you can often tell because they're quite indecisive and they'll usually resist taking action. So because of this, they tend to be quite achievement phobic. So you might notice this in somebody who starts a lot of things, but doesn't finish them. And they have a genuine anxiety around achieving things. These kind of people, generally speaking, just want to hide from the world and can sometimes go as far as feeling like they're dead or lifeless. So it can be quite a difficult situation for them to be in. And the freeze response is quite a challenging one really because it takes a lot of drive and it takes a lot of um, self-discipline really to pull yourself out of anxiety and to learn how to control it. So for somebody who is experiencing a freeze response, it can be even more difficult. And that's one of the challenges that we really enjoy as therapists, because if we can get somebody who engages in a freeze response to actually learn how to engage with the world and manage their anxiety in a more healthy way, then they tend to find that their life changes quite considerably. So these are the clients who uh, we really like working with because they become really, really raving fans of ours. So the final response is the fawn response. Now, this is a probably more common response than people realise. So although it's not included in the fight or flight, um, it's something that I see very, very regularly. So people who engage in the fawn response, they tend to be very people pleasing. They'll often use flattery, to, largely to avoid conflict, and they're generally quite scared to say what it is they really, really think. These people are generally overcaring, very much incapable of standing up for themselves and very crucially struggle to say no. And this is something I come across a huge amount in clinic is people struggling to say no. So because of this, they're generally quite easily exploited by other people. So they often feel like friends in particular only really contact them when they want something. They tend not to have the same kind of relationships that you would expect to have with a friend. Because of this, they tend to crave acceptance and they really, really need to fit in with other people. It's often to the point where they will compromise their own likes, their own wants, Uh, to make sure that they fit in with the group that it is they want to, to fit in with. So they can end up being kind of yes people. They're the ones that will always say yes to anything that anyone says. And now this is a really tricky one, because some of these things in small doses are actually quite beneficial to us. It's not always worth saying exactly what you think in the moment. There are times when a bit of tax and potentially a bit of silence can be a benefit where these responses become an issue is where they are all the time and where they are detrimentally impacting your life so particularly for someone who struggles to say no to things what can generally happen is that they end up being very much responsible for a large amount of things be it in family life or in work life so they feel like they're working hard than other people and it can make them feel very much like a victim and very much resent other people because they struggle to say no in the first place. And it is a really tricky thing. It's something that I've struggled with myself over the years is taking on that responsibility for other people when it's not really yours to take on. And it is really important that you learn to distance yourself from situations that are going to cause you more stress than is necessary. So all of these responses, what's really interesting is to consider which one you are most like But not to worry if you don't fit into one particular one. Some people do, some people don't. From my experience of anxiety, when I used to really struggle with it, I would probably tend to flit around most of these different ones, depending on what was going on at the time. So there are times when I'd be more angry about situations. There are times when I would be more worrying about situations. There are times when I tried too hard to control situations. There were times when I just avoid everything and decide not to think about it. And there were times when I really struggled to say no and was really quite desperate for people to like me and want me and need me. So it's really, really important to understand yourself, how your anxiety manifests itself and how it comes out, because it becomes a really integral part to learning how to manage it in a more healthy way. Now, the important thing to consider here as well is that self-preservation is actually a good thing. It's really, really important. And we need a certain amount of it because we do need to protect ourselves, sometimes from other people's issues, sometimes from situations that haven't gone how we wanted them to. So it's really, really important to understand that self-preservation is good, but you have to be aware of when self-preservation is going too far and it's leading you to behave in ways that are quite detrimental to you or to people around you. So the important thing is self-awareness. I've talked about self-awareness before and being aware of how your anxiety manifests within you. Because I've talked about cognitive behavioural therapy before, but the thoughts that we have, the feelings that we have and the behaviours that we engage in are all part of this cycle of anxiety that can often lead us to do things that we are not very happy about. So the important thing is to understand that cycle, to be aware of which one of these things you tend to do, even in different situations, and to start to think about how you might want to behave differently or how different behaviours might benefit you more in different situations. Now, the reason I like to talk about these things is because with anxiety, there is loads of stuff that you can do for yourself. So you can build self-awareness by yourself. You can learn how to overcome a lot of these things by yourself, if you particularly want to. But of course, if you feel like you need help and support with this, then that's why therapists like myself exist. So do get in touch if you need some extra support on how to manage your anxiety, how to work out how your anxiety manifests itself, how to understand your anxiety better, then please do get in touch. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can just head to my website, which is www.anxiety2confidence.com, and that's the number two. And there you'll find more information about our sessions with me if you would like them, courses if you would like them there's also a free negative thinking exercise on there which is really really helpful for understanding how your negative thoughts can contribute towards your feelings which then contribute towards your behaviors so it's a really useful thing to start with but also if you have any questions as well you're very welcome to get in touch through the website Uh, there's a contact form and I'm pretty sure my email is on there so you're very welcome to get in touch ask any questions or make any comments on what you've noticed about yourself when it comes to your anxiety. That's all for today. I hope you have a fantastic week and I look forward to chatting to you again next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anxiety to Confidence podcast. You can find more information and my extensive blog at www.anxiety to confidence.com that's the number two anxiety to confidence.com